Um, If you've been here, you know that we are in the middle of a series about the Beatitudes or the Great Eight or the Keys to Happiness. And this is a part of a Sermon on the Mount from Christ, which is the most famous sermon recorded in Scripture. One of the most famous uh, points of oration in human history. Uh, People from all over the world, whether they identify with Christianity or not, know of the Sermon on the Mount because it is packed with amazing things. And so we've been going through this one section at a time, the Beatitudes of what it looks like to be blessed, what it looks like to be complete or whole, what a good life actually looks like. And I want to talk to you this morning about verse 6. We're going to read that together this morning. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Now, there's a lot of ways to approach the Scripture, and there's a lot of ways to approach the Bible. And there's great ways, and there's bad ways. I want to submit to you what you probably already know. If you treat the Bible as a roadmap or a user's guide to life, a lot of times it falls flat. A lot of times you you give up because you don't know what to do. It doesn't make sense. It it doesn't all check out. But there's a way to view the Bible that I think will enrich you. It will will build up and bolster your life in a great way. Uh, Some Jewish historians talk about the Scriptures as a gem. It's this priceless gem, like a diamond, and that as you hold it up to the light... You see different facets, and every way you turn it, a new facet appears. The Bible is not just this flat, rigid thing. It's a living, breathing, beautiful piece of art, and as you spin it in the light of your life, it takes on all new kinds of meanings. That is why you can read the Bible as a small child, and then read that same passage in teenage years and get something different, and then read it later in life and find something completely different than you've ever known. I think the Bible can be an amazing thing in our lives. And so I want to take this scripture, and I want to talk through just three facets of this verse. There's so many more, and there's a lot more people who are a lot more qualified to tell you all of it, but I'm going to just give us three this morning that I think that we can tuck in our hearts somewhere, and it'll serve our lives. I want to talk about facet one, and to do that, we're going to read through a different translation of this verse. This is the Phillips version, and it says, happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for goodness, for they will be fully satisfied. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for goodness. This word righteousness in this passage is used throughout the New Testament. We find it a lot of different places and it takes on different meanings each time. But there are some primary ways to look at it. In this part, I want to talk about what it means goodness, righteousness as goodness or personal integrity, virtue, Your own internal goodness. And to do that, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass anybody here this morning. But did you take a New Year's resolution this year? How's that working out for you this year? Is everybody just nailing it right now? Like... I'm just every goal I set. I'm just I'm just beating it. I'm 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 incredible. Some of you in this room might have chosen diet for your New Year's resolution. You know what? This year, this is my year. 
I'm going to eat better. I'm going to do I'm going to get this right this time. And so that's it. Uh, you went in your cupboards. You went in your fridge and you just started throwing stuff in the garbage. You just went through. The Oreos are gone. The gummy bears are gone. No more milkshakes. No more ice cream. If I see a brownie in this house, so help me God. And then you went to the grocery store, hungry, and saw the brownies. And saw. So here's what happens with diets a lot of times. We just assume that we're going to be a completely different person than we have ever been in the history of our lives. There's some line that marks that all of a sudden, because I have the willpower, I am going to achieve. And so we throw everything out and we start from scratch and then it doesn't work because, and this is an irrefutable fact, ice cream tastes so much better than kale. It just, (laughs) science has proven this. There's no argument here. Ice cream just tastes better. But he, and so here's what you probably know about yourself. That no matter how good your intentions are, whatever your reason for getting healthier, I just want to feel better. I just want to get healthier. Some of it's weight loss. Some of it's just the doctor said, hey, it's time, right? But you've noticed this about yourself. You have two competing hungers. You have this hunger to eat better, to do better, to, to feel better. And simultaneously... Bacon, right? Like you have, you, you know what I'm saying? You get it. You have this desire. I know it. This is good for me. This is, I'm going to live longer. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to sleep better. And then you also know that pizza is one of God's greatest creations. And so here's, this is why so many of us have started and stopped. We've picked up new diets and then we've dropped them faster than we picked them up. Is because usually for most people, it doesn't work that way. You don't just quit cold turkey. You don't just turn a corner. You don't just eat ice cream sundaes one night and then the next night you just have, you know what, I'm just going to do the broccoli salad, thanks. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. You know this about yourself. And so what, what they're realizing, what they're teaching us now is instead of just saying, you know what, Monday, this is it. They say, so go to the restaurant and order that cheeseburger. But instead of a side of fries, what if you did a side of broccoli or green beans? And so it's not just this complete overhaul where all of a sudden you're going to be a completely different person. It's about starting and creating a new habit one drop at a time. How do you train? How do you be, have more goodness in your life? Slowly. Because you know what happens. You, you start off thinking something is going to be terrible. Raise your hand if you've ever been the person who just says, you know what, I'm just not a veggies person. It's just not... <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not a veggie guy. It's mostly guys. I'm just not a veggie guy. And then you try something in a meal, in a dish that you would have never cooked. And you're like, you know what? That wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So you slowly over time fold that into your diet. If you take one thing away from this message this morning when you leave, it's this. Costco is amazing. Okay? If that's the only, I got an amen over here. I see you, brother. All right. Here's why. We go there every weekend around noon (laughs) for the express purpose of feeding my three hungry children. That's, let me be honest with you, they're not eating the rest of the day. We go to Costco, we fill up, we bring a couple of hats with us and they just swap the hats out and we do the rotation. We do three rotations. No, this is why it's amazing. Because you go grocery shopping and you know this might be delicious 
Or it might be the worst thing I've ever eaten. The, the brilliance of Costco is that they have a smiling face who's prepared a little, just a little sample for you to try. And if you try it and you like it, you buy it. I have filled my cart so many times with something that I never would have purchased if I was just looking at the package. But somebody gave me a tiny little sample and I brought it into my life. There's like these quinoa salads. Am I pronouncing it right? Did I get it? Quinoa salad. And I don't know if this is going to be any good. And then you taste a little morsel, a little sample of it, and you fold. So this is a way to look at those who hunger and thirst for goodness. If you want to improve your life, if you know there is some opportunity for growth with your integrity, with what you view as morality, it's not enough to just show up today and check your box on Sunday and then assume that you're going to go to work and somebody's going to say, wow, Bob, you're nice today. Like, it's not just, and I apologize if your name is Bob, I'm not picking on you. It's just the first name that came to mind. It's more likely that goodness over time is going to fold into your life, slowly taking on one element. You know what? Maybe I need to stop a little bit in the mornings. Maybe it'd be good for me to pray. Maybe it would be good for me to get into a time of devotion. And maybe some of this stuff can help me with my patience. Instead of just assuming that if you're not a completely amazing person tomorrow, then you're not hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That's not the case. Because here's how it works. Some of you who have said you're not veggie people, started slowly getting it into your diet, and then you started eating better, and then you Before you know it, you know what? I don't need this, and I don't need this, and I don't need this. And then, here's what happens. You go back to your go-to dessert, the one that you would just, every night of the week, you would eat it, and it just doesn't taste as good as it used to. But it's not because you threw it away day one. It's because slowly, over time, it added up and built up into your life. That's facet one. This is what uh, this book I read on habit formation by this name, guy named James Clear has to say about these kinds of habits. The process of building habits is actually the process of becoming yourself. I'm slowly folding new ways of thinking into my life. I'm slowly adding prayer and devotion. I'm slowly taking time to meditate, to slow down because I'm becoming who I really want to be. That person that is in there, that good, patient, kind, loving, generous person that I know exists, that often gets drowned out by that other hunger, that other nature to be short, to cut people off, to be rude, to build up resentment. We have these competing hungers in our lives, and the one we feed is the one that grows. And so it's a slow process of development. And happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for goodness, for they will be fully satisfied. Facet 2. The New Living Translation of this verse says that God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. This word righteousness also translates as justice, and a way to look at justice is setting things as they ought to be. Putting things the way they're supposed to be. If something is off kilter, if something is twisted, if something is shifted, it's about taking it and writing it. Some of you in this room, and I identify with you strongly, as soon as you read a document, you find the typo. Three paragraphs deep. You say, oh, no, that word is wrong. That's the typo. 
Some of you walk into a room, and God help you if you walk through these rooms, and you see a picture frame, and it's slightly too, and you, you like, I got to sit down, I can't deal with this. You immediately, even if it's somebody else's home, you want to walk over and adjust it, because you notice that something is off kilter. Something's not right. That's what this word justice means. God blesses those who are hungry to set things right, to make the world as it ought to be. If somebody has that drive, if somebody has that hunger, they will be satisfied. But here is the same human process that we go through. We think because we hear an inspiring message or we read a book about changing the world. And so we think tomorrow, we're, this is it. I'm changing the world. It's probably not a good idea to just shave your head and move to another country tomorrow and join a monastery. Maybe. Maybe that works for you. And maybe you're not going to just start a nonprofit in your garage tomorrow to set the world right. Maybe you're not going to solve world hunger this year. If you put that on your goals of a New Year's resolution. But you know what you could do? Next time you, ooh, what was that? Next time you go to the grocery store, next time you go to the grocery store and you see that cart floating in between two lanes, grab that cart and put it where it belongs. Because that's a small way of setting the world right. Somebody's going to park here. Somebody's going to need to put their car here. So I'm going to be the one. I didn't leave the cart here. It's not my fault. That's not my problem. But I'm going to put it where it belongs. Next time you walk, and this is a scary endeavor, but just pray about it before you do it. Next time you walk in a public bathroom and it's just paper towel shrapnel everywhere next to the garbage can. When you're done washing your hands, grab a paper towel and pick it up and throw it in the garbage. And this, and I'll tell you why. That sounds so silly and so insignificant. It's a small way to tell yourself, I'm the kind of person who sets things right. Not because I'm better than the person who littered, because God knows I've probably done this at some point. But because I want to be the kind of person that sets things right. God blesses those who are hungry to set things as they ought to be. There's inside of this passage... A call to action, if you'll listen. Right in the middle of that passage is a call to do something. And here's the idea. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you're hungry enough, you'll find a way to eat. If you're hungry enough, you will find a way to feed yourself. And I realize where that analogy breaks down. It is that all around this world, in this very state, there are people who are hungry. I just heard a story yesterday about two kids that go to school in Waterford who were taken in the principal's office crying at lunchtime. Not because someone bullied them, not because somebody hurt them, but because they were hungry. This kid was so hungry, his emotions gave out. This is not a foreign country. This is not a, some commercial you'll see late night television this is water for this is our backyard there's a kid who needs to be fed and so here's I, I realize that not everyone can feed themselves but here's the flip every nonprofit organization that has started to end hunger started because someone saw that the world was off kilter and decided they were going to do something about it every hospital that you've been in 
runs from a long line of someone saying, this person is sick, this person is dying, this person has been injured, and we have to do something about it. There's a reason why most of the hospitals you walk in start with saint something or other. Because somebody some time ago realized that if we want to take the message of Jesus seriously to care for those who are hurting, then we have to actually get that idea in our hands and feet and do something about it. A few weeks ago, we had a 91-year-old man standing on this platform who had so many stories to tell about his life, his involvement in the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement sprung up from some people looking at the world as it is and hungering for something better. That this is not going to be acceptable. That this twisted, bent system has to conform. And as we stand here in Black History Month and reflect on where we've come from and how far we have to go, I want to remind you of the words of Dr. Martin Luther King who said that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice, righteousness. Now, this is what we can do with the words of Dr. King and what we have done with the words of Dr. King. We've put them on posters. We've retweeted them and we've posted them on Instagram and they make us feel good because they are good. But when Dr. King said that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice, he didn't just get that posted on his wall. He grabbed the universe and started bending. Do you understand what I mean? He grabbed a hold of reality and started twisting it where it needs to be towards righteousness. And there's a lot of people that followed his example. And it comes and it stretches from the life of Jesus Christ and so many others. When Dr. Anderson was here, he gave uh, the example of what it was like in that time to go into a restaurant knowing full well that you would not be asked to leave. You would be told to leave. And that they would resist and would sit at the counter and would order a meal knowing that things were going to come against them. Not only was the owner of the restaurant and the wait staff going to push and force and fight, but even the patrons who were sitting next to them were going to say, you have no place here. Those people did not stay at that counter. Those people did not walk in that restaurant because it was the only place for them to eat. It wasn't because they were hungry for a cheeseburger and a milkshake. Do you know what it was? They were hungry for something so much more. They were hungry for a world made right. And they said, if I have to be pushed, if I have to be spit on, if I have to have milkshakes dumped on my head, if I have to be called a dog, if I have to be punched and beaten and battered and bruised, I am going to be a part of the hands and feet of Christ that bends the universe towards justice. And we reap the benefits of their sacrifice. The moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. I believe that with every fiber of my being, but it doesn't bend on its own. It takes some hungry people Take some people who look at the world as it is and say, no, 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 no. 
That's not good enough. No, absolutely not. This people group is not better than this people group. This sex is no better than this sex. This person with this religion is no better than this person with this religion. And until we make it right, I will not be silent. I will not sit back. I will not watch as the world spins off kilter because I have been challenged by Jesus Christ Himself to make the world right. They were hungry for something more. It it makes me think about Jesus in the desert during His time of temptation. And He's being offered food. He's being offered status and prestige and money and acclaim. And He looks at the tempter. And he says, man shall not eat by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's something more than physical nourishment that our souls long for. And what are the words of God that Jesus was talking about? Those words are justice. Those words are love. Those words are forgiveness and goodness. And Jesus says that, yes, it's important. And he was no doubt hungry in this time, starving for a morsel of food and a drop of water. But he said, I would rather die than leave the world off kilter. He was hungry for something more. That's where the spiritual practice of fasting comes in. Fasting is not something we do so that God takes notice of us and loves us more. Fasting is something that we do to remember that life is about more than food and drink. That our souls are longing for something more rich and satisfying. And it hurts to say this, but it's true. Unfortunately, the church has gotten this wrong a lot. We've been so concerned a lot of times as a global church, about making sure people check the correct spiritual boxes that we've not only allowed the world to go off kilter, in some cases we've forced it off kilter. The church historically was part of the movement that was actually trying to keep slavery. The church in many cases had been a part of silencing women and and pushing them out of places of influence. The church has been responsible for all kinds of xenophobia, racism, homophobia, all of these things. But, 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 there's always been a church. And I believe Orchard Grove is a part of this bigger church that will not settle for that. We're not content with checking spiritual boxes off, but we hunger and thirst for a world made right. That should be our goal. That should be our focus. Facet number three. This is what this verse did not say. Blessed are those who have attained and achieved righteousness. I need to say that again. This verse does not say, blessed, content, fulfilled, are those who have finally made it. You've attained righteousness. Congratulations to you. That's not what this passage says. This passage says, blessed are you if somewhere in there there's a hunger for righteousness. That 
part of righteousness is this idea of being approved by God. What does it look like for God to look on you and smile? For God to accept you, to know you, and to love you? And so sometimes we use church and we use the Bible and we use spirituality as a way to try to get our ticket punched and try to check a box just in case. Because we want to make sure that we're good. We want to make sure we're right. We want to make sure we've achieved. I've got to make sure that I'm good and covered and I need all my bases covered. This verse says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not not who have attained it. Now, I need to remind you of something about this passage. And I need to remind you of something about the sermon in general. Jesus, and this might come as a shock to some of you, so I'm glad you're seated. Jesus was Jewish. I know. I know. I get it. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jesus was not a Christian. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus actually respected and revered his Jewish tradition and his heritage. He was trying to take people deeper into its meaning. And if you look at the history of the Jewish people and you look at this very idea of blessing, you can trace that back to one person by the name of Abraham. And so when Jesus is talking to a crowd about blessing, blessed are you who this, blessed are you who that, blessed are you, they're thinking back all the way to the beginning of their ancestry, to a person named Abraham. And this is what the Apostle Paul, the man who's responsible for writing over half of the New Testament, has to say about Paul, or about Abraham, rather. For the Scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. God counted Abraham as righteous, not because he checked the boxes, not because he did everything right, not because he was a super amazing spiritual person, but he believed God. And how did he believe God? Well, you can trace this back to the book of Genesis where God tells an old man, by the way, leave where you're living, everything you know, follow me and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Did I mentioned that he was an old man. And so faith in this case was not this belief system. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Absolutely. Okay, well then you can be accepted. God will love you and you get to go to heaven when you die. That's not the message of the gospel. That would be like if every beautiful thing that happened right here If you were asked immediately after baptism to go stand out in the cold and prove how much you really love God, that's how you show your faith. That's how you attain righteousness. No, what you did was demonstrate something that was already happening right here. And so let me say this as we close this morning. If you are a part of church life, if if you are pursuing Christianity because you are looking for spiritual achievement, you're desperate to check boxes to make sure you are covered. You came to the wrong place. 
If you're looking for that sort of stuff, you're standing outside of the door and you will walk away with bruised and bloodied knuckles because there's no entrance. The message of the Scriptures and the message of blessing and the message of righteousness is this. Instead of pounding on the door of achievement and attainment and being good enough and being holy enough and being right enough and righteous enough and pounding on that door, turn the gem a little bit and realize that the door has been open the whole time. The door has always been open. You can't kick it in. You can't punch it in. What, what were they singing about this morning? The reckless, ridiculous, audacious, unbelievable love of God. Every time I have ever failed in my life, every time I've ever harmed myself or harmed others, it wasn't because I wasn't trying hard enough. It's not because I didn't want to be a good person. Every moral failure, every struggle, every time I have harmed someone I love, every time I've harmed myself, it is only because I have forgotten who I am. This passage serves as a reminder that our blessing stretches way before we ever got here and it's going to outlive us. That it is about simply stepping out into the love of God and saying, I'm going to take this journey of faith. That's righteousness. That's goodness. That's faith. That's God's love. 